Welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. This podcast is presented by the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation and hosted by our CEO, Jamie Irvin. At the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation, we work with manufacturers, distributors, and repair shops who want to grow their business. Do you have a problem that you would like some help with? We have developed fault codes for heavy duty parts businesses, just like they have for commercial trucks. Find out how many fault codes your business has and how you stack up against dozens of other heavy-duty parts businesses. Head to heavydutyconsulting.com and schedule a meeting with us today. All right, let's start this episode. You're listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and this is the show where you get expert advice about heavy-duty parts that keeps trucks and trailers on the road longer while lowering costs per mile. It's 2023, and the amount of change that we've seen in our industry over the last few years could be nothing short of really called unprecedented. And with all of that change, it's putting a lot of pressure on companies all the way through the supply chain, from manufacturers right down through to fleets. How do we respond to that change? How do we rise to the occasion to meet the needs of our industry? Well, I'm really excited to talk to a returning guest about that specific subject. So we've got Colin Shaw back on the podcast. He's the president and COO of the Heavy Duty Manufacturers Association. Colin has over 15 years of experience in the heavy duty and automotive business, and we are very happy to have him back on the podcast. Colin, welcome back to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. So glad to have you here. Thanks, Jamie. It's good to be back. So this episode is being aired during the week of HDAW. So we're all in Texas uh, right now, or we're going to be. And that's an exciting time for the industry. A lot of conversation happens around that time about where we've been and, and where we're going. You know, from your perspective, what are some of the the rapid changes that our industry faces? Yeah, I think, you know, as we have been looking at it for the last year as a leadership team, as I have uh, joined this group at MEMA, uh, which is a larger organization for vehicle suppliers, which we'll get into, is there's a number of things. There's a shift to new technologies such as electrification and autonomy. Uh, and some of those are starting to blur the lines uh, between the segments that we operate in, uh, whether it be commercial vehicle or light vehicle or even medium duty. You know, a lot of these technologies are, are blurring the lines and you see companies investing in, in both areas to kind of capture and distribute their investment throughout. Supply chain disruption has really uh, been at the forefront. I think probably everybody's sick of hearing about supply chain disruption, but it seems to be no matter how much we want to get away from it in our meetings and things like that with members, it, it continues to be a, a topic of discussion. And whether it's, you know, companies learning how to deal with it and putting in processes, it's it's really... Uh, continuing to dominate a lot of the the conversations. You look at supply chain and ESG or sustainability in ESG. That has been one that really, since I have joined, it kind of moved from sustainability and uh, or from supply chain into this discussion of uh, sustainability and ESG. There's a lot more pressure on the suppliers to uh, meet what the OEMs want, as also the customers. And so we're we're putting a lot of focus and thinking about how we address sustainability and ESG. The other one that's really been a big topic as of late has been uh, worker training, hiring, retaining, retraining, immigration. There's a lot of discussion around people. And I think what you're seeing is a lot of movement in that area that 
people are moving across different industries. There's a lot of new people coming into both you know, light duty, heavy duty, aftermarket remanufacturing. And so there's a lot of changes happening there. A need to think about how the U.S. and um, perhaps maybe the, the North America region competes manufacturing. There's a lot of talk about, you know, how do we bring things back into North America being United States, Canada, and Mexico. And so there's a lot of discussions there. And then the regulatory and legislative landscape. Routinely, when we have our meetings, Ann Wilson, who is our, our vice president of our Washington, D.C. office, she comes and speaks, and, and she's routinely rated the, the most important and most interesting speaker at our councils and forums because there's so much happening in Washington, D.C., and it's, it's affecting everybody. Whether it's uh, legislation happening in California, whether it's at the federal level with the Build Back Better or the infrastructure plans, I mean the Chips Act. There's there's so much stuff happening that it really uh, is affecting everybody that we deal with in this industry. So those are that's kind of a snapshot of a number of the things that are changing in our industries. And I don't I don't call them challenges. They're also opportunities. And so they're just things we're all working on together. Yeah, you know, as as you're talking, I'm thinking that this is like the basis for maybe five or ten episodes where we could talk <laughs> about all these issues. Uh, just for those who aren't familiar, what does ESG stand for? Environment, social, and I believe it's governmental. I always forget. I always forget the G. Uh, so you have to have to apologize <laughs> there, but I'm pretty sure it's governmental. But it's all connected to these policies around sustainability and the environment. You know, it's interesting that you brought up the people component of it because. I remember one time someone said, uh, you know, well, if we if we didn't have customers, uh, you know, getting in our way and, and causing us problems every day, we could get a lot done. And it's like, yeah, well, if you don't have customers, you don't uh, have any work to do. So, you know, at the heart of all of this is, is people. And I find that to be an interesting subject uh, because we are going over this demographic cliff right now. And if you look at the the data around the, the current workforce here in, in the trucking industry, it trends to one end of the spectrum, which is the older end. And so, you know, all of these other issues that we're going to face as a society and 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 more, you know, expansive than even as 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 the globe, environmental issues, supply chain issues, you know, a technology, at the heart of it still is, is people. And when you look at the long-term, you know, trends, we are looking at actual population decline in the second half of this century. So that is certainly not something that when we were kids, we ever thought, you know, there was all this talk about population explosion. And I always think it's so important for us to keep that front and center, right? Because we want people in the industries that we work in to thrive and we want humans in general to thrive. So how do we, to your point, yes, we have to deal with these challenges, but we also have to try to find ways of turning them into opportunities. Yeah, it's really been fascinating. So this is my first time helping to plan uh, the HDAW show. And seeing uh, kind of the explosion, you know, coming out of COVID, this is going to be this is a great show. Yeah, I know we're recording this pre-HDAW, but the numbers we're seeing and the interest has been record setting for us. So that, that's great. But we're also seeing is a lot of new people. And that's what we've tried to do with like our dialogue program and some of the other things that we do is highlight some of the people coming into the industry. You know, these really innovative people who maybe didn't come from commercial vehicle but are bringing new insights and new ways of doing things. And I think that's, that's really exciting to me is, is starting to see uh, this changeover happening. And what's great is that there's a lot of great mentors in our, in our industry, and they are really doing the best they can to bring new people in and to teach them and, and to help them uh, understand the market. So 
Yeah, it is a challenge, but I, I, I see some signs of hope. And I think there's a lot of excitement happening around the people issue of uh, how do we bring them in and how do we keep people engaged? And, and once people get in this market, they really find it's just a great industry to be in. And uh, the people are what make commercial vehicles so special. And I think the group that we're bringing in is, is going to continue to help uh, keep it a special uh, industry. Right. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants in some respect. <laughs> So when you think about the, you know, this is a, I mean, you gave us a real macro trend outlook, but, you know, specifically, maybe not just supply chains. I think we've, we've all talked about that quite a bit, but some of these other trends, like, like new technology adoption and things like that, like how is that filtering down to the manufacturers and, and the customers they serve, the distributors and the fleets? Like, how is that putting pressure on them going into 2023? You know, what I like to think about is, is the bottom line is, Companies have to spend money to innovate and they need to invest in technologies. And I think the pressure that we're seeing is that there's so many new technologies coming at us so fast that organizations are having to put a lot on the line right now to invest in you know, electrification, autonomous driving, connected vehicles into the aftermarket. Um, you know, part of that connected vehicle piece is how do you connect your aftermarket and how do you invest in information and e-commerce. So all at once, we're seeing just everything pile on in the supply community. And it's putting a lot of pressure on that bottom line. And so I think what you see is organizations looking for new ways to capitalize that investment and, and to spread it out. And so that's part of the pressure, I think, that you're finding uh, in the industry. And with that, it's compounded by the people issue is you have entirely new skills that are needed in our market. Um, electrical engineering, software engineering. These are entirely new skills that maybe haven't been you know, in our industry for very long. And so not only do you have an aging and retiring workforce, you also have a, a workforce that has to come in with new skills that maybe can't learn from who has been there. And you have all these technologies you need to make sure are funded and make sure you're still being profitable. You have to take care of today's operations and invest in the future. So I think those are some of the um, biggest pressures that are, are facing organizations as they plan for the future. That's not saying anything about you know their supply chain, their current operations, and raw materials. All those other things that we've been talking about for like two years. Right, right. Yeah, and technology is great as long as it works, right? But if, if anybody's ever like had trouble connecting to their printer and they want to check it out the window, you know, so when technology doesn't work, it it's not a good thing. So yeah, there's a real uh, challenge there because to your point, not only are we looking to recruit and retain new people, but they need different skills. And that's uh, that's really part of the changing landscape. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from our break, uh, we're going to talk about how all of these changes are affecting your organization. We'll be right back. Don't have a heavy duty part number and need to look up a part? Go to parts.diesellaptops.com or download the app on Apple or Android to create your free account. Looking for high-quality fuel injection for heavy-duty applications? Having one supplier for fuel injection allows you to better serve customers by providing them with a complete line which increases your sales and profitability. Learn more at ambacinternational.com aftermarket. Parts availability and quality have a big influence on fleets and owner-operators' total cost of operation. If they can't find a part, it means more downtime. If they install a low-quality part and it fails, it means even more costs like tow bills, hotels, meals for the driver, 
and lost revenue. That's why we recommend Sampa. They manufacture a wide range of advanced parts for commercial vehicles. Their website has an intelligent product search engine and broad coverage of suspension, steering, and fifth wheel components. Expect more. Expect Sampa. Visit sampa.com today. We're back from our break. And before the break, Colin, you did a great job of giving us an overview of kind of the, the mega trends that are affecting the trucking industry and, and also, you know, by extension, the automotive industry. Now, for those of you who maybe don't understand the uh, structure of the organization that you're a part of, so I introduced you as the president and COO of the Heavy Duty Manufacturing Association. And in the first segment, you mentioned an organization, MEMA. For just those who don't know, can you kind of explain the, the way it's traditionally been set up? And then we'll talk a little bit about what's changing. Yeah. So MEMA stands for and has historically stood for the Motor and Equipment Manufacturing Association. And for the past probably 25 years, we've been organized under four divisions. Uh, you have AASA, uh, which is for the aftermarket. You have OESA, which are predominantly the light vehicle tier ones that supply to the OEMs. Uh, then you have MIRA, which is the sustainable manufacturing organization. And then you have the organization I run, uh, the Heavy Duty Manufacturers Association. So all four of us work together uh, to try and foster and grow a profitable supplier community uh, and advance their business issues. Those, those are the things that we focus on. And we have largely grown somewhat independent of each other. We have similar processes. We have similar ways of doing things. We talk on, a, you know, I'm in the office with the OESA team and the MIRA team, but we, we try to meet the needs of those specific markets. And as I mentioned, some of those lines are being blurred. And so what we at MEMA uh, really focus on is making sure that that supply community has ample access to things like networking. You know, we really pride ourselves on our ability to bring the market together to network. Uh, our advocacy team, like I mentioned with Ann Wilson in Washington, D.C., she is just a phenomenal resource. And what she's been able to do on Capitol Hill with things like the CHIPS Act have been tremendous. Uh, and then our ability to provide insights. You know, I'm, I'm privileged in that I get to meet with and discuss topics with CEOs and business leaders. And so we have a certain amount of insight that we can bring to the market. And we do that for over 800 member companies as part of the total MEMA. And so that's how we're structured today. A little bit, you know, every division has their people. We have our processes and, and that's how we go about business. Right, right. And this is an organization that's been around for a very long time. Like you talked about the organization over the last 25 years, but if I'm not mistaken, the MEMA has been around for almost 120 years. Yes. MEMA has been around for well over 100 years. For that time, we have really prided ourselves on advancing the business interests of our member companies in the automotive sector. And we, what we really um, do well is, I think, is representing that supplier community only. And we are a voice for the supplier community. You know, there's, there's great associations that help represent the distributors and the OEMs. And we really pride ourselves on that supply community for the automotive sector, which is coincidentally the largest manufacturing sector in the United States. When you look at the supply base for automotive, it touches so many pieces of our society and what we do every day that uh, it's really important for us to, to maintain that vision and and uh, be the voice for that supplier community. And in addition to that, the trucking industry is by far one of the most important industries as well, because it, you don't get any of the stuff you need without it. So <laughs> it's the backbone of society. 
So, okay, what changes have been announced and why why now? So uh, what we have announced is that our four divisions, which have largely, we created four divisions around um, the aftermarket, the OEM world, commercial vehicle, and light duty. And as I explained, we're, you know, we're starting to see the lines blur. And our members uh, came to us and said, hey, we want better access to what's happening. You've got a lot of great content, but um, it's a little bit siloed. And so what we've done is consolidated the four divisions into two divisions. So we have created uh, MEMA Original Equipment Supplier Group and a MEMA Aftermarket Supplier Group. And essentially, you have the OESA uh, group and the AASA group. They are continuing to operate in that Original Equipment Supplier Group for OESA, and the AASA operates in the uh, Aftermarket Supplier Group. The heavy-duty group, which is where I come in, uh, we're kind of splitting that into two, but also providing more content for them. So I will actually change my title to Chief Commercial Vehicle Officer for MEMA, as well as have a Chief Operating Officer role at the MEMA OE level. And so what it allows us to do is take all of the great content that like the OESA team or the AASA team has built and start offering that to our heavy-duty suppliers, things like human resources, forums. We have our aftermarket technology and business technology council. All of these things are done in the heavy-duty world as well. But previously, you know, we were a bit limited due to people. Now this opens everything up and allows our members greater access in the heavy-duty world to what's happening throughout the automotive industry. And so those are, those are the key changes. We're also uh, creating like a central events team and a marketing team. But really what members need to know is that you know, the content is is going to be there that you're used to. There's just going to be more of it. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. You know, when I was doing the planning to launch the heavy duty parts report, I remember talking to a lot of people in the aftermarket side, the independent service channel, and they all said the same thing. They said, you know, the original equipment manufacturers, they have a tremendous amount of resources at their disposal, but aftermarket is and the independent side, they really struggle sometimes to get the resources they need. So how do these changes specifically benefit aftermarket moving forward? That's a great question. Uh, I'm really excited for this because as I look at HDMA, we provide a service with the Heavy Duty Aftermarket Week and our Heavy Duty Aftermarket Dialogue. But then we also operate uh, some councils and forums that meet twice a year, like a sales and marketing uh, council. We have a technology council, our Heavy Duty Business Forum, which is for the presidents and CEOs of the supplier community. But when I looked at the aftermarket, I, I felt like there's a lot more we could do. And, you know, fortunately, we have an amazing group uh, led by Paul McCarthy called AASA, and they've created a lot of aftermarket content already. And so what, what this does is allows us to take our membership and say, okay, if you want access to more aftermarket content, this is all open to you now. So things like the Business Technology Council, which talks about things like e-commerce, which really spread across the entire automotive uh, landscape. They have a young leaders group, their mixed group. And that group is for younger people coming into the industry to be able to to mingle with other people, to get to know other people from other companies as well as other leaders. They have you know their technology conference in the aftermarket. So there's a lot of content that now we can look at and say, okay, how do we provide this into the heavy duty group? And and in some ca- some cases, there already is heavy duty content that uh, the aftermarket team has already done. And for some of it, we're also re-looking at our councils and forums and saying, how do we build more heavy-duty content into this? 
where does it make sense? Some things may just continue to stay heavy duty and light duty, but there's a lot of things we're finding that uh, in the aftermarket, based on what has been built over uh, decades at uh, AASA, we can piggyback on it now offer it to our members and allow more networking for the aftermarket community uh, on top of what we do already at HDAW and uh, the dialogue. Yeah, that's fantastic. So one thing that I think we're all concerned about is having our voice represented at the federal and, and state level, or if we're here in Canada, then definitely at the federal and provincial level. How does these changes enhance your ability to do the, the work that's being done in Washington to advocate for our industry? Yeah, when I look at the aftermarket in specific, right to repair has been a very key topic. This allows us to combine the voice. And quite simply, uh, it allows us to combine the voice from the heavy-duty market, the light-duty market. When we look at things like vehicle autonomy and the regulations needing there, uh, yes, there will be some different things to look at from the heavy-duty and light-duty side, but it allows us to have a stronger voice and to represent more of the supplier community in some of these topics. Now, we, I work with Ann Wilson, the AASA staff uh, with Paul McCarthy works with Ann Wilson. So we are connected there, but allows us to really have a very simple and unified message into Washington, D.C., and representing the topics that we feel are important for the heavy-duty industry. Okay, so I'm going to throw you a curveball. Go for it. You've got two divisions now, one focused on manufacturers like the OE and one on the aftermarket. How do you navigate the seemingly divergent desires and needs of those two groups? So, for example. We've seen over the years how OEs want to vertically integrate. That's not necessarily good for the aftermarket or the independent. We've seen manufacturers, you know, lobbying and fighting for one part of right to repair while the aftermarket independent fight for another. So how are you going to manage that? There are some times where we have to put on an aftermarket hat and an OE hat, and maybe we have differing opinions from some of the other associations out there. That that happens from time to time. But Fortunately, in working with the supply community, most of the time they have a pretty coordinated voice because you know the head of that supplier community or the, that supplier company is typically running the OE business and the aftermarket business. He has to he has to think about both of them together, and so we find that a lot of the times those issues don't contradict at the supplier level. Yes, on some on some they do. Like right to repair is a very sticky issue where there's a lot of different voices. The recent EPA rules and the NOx rules that, that just came out. There's a lot of differing voices. Some people wanted it, some people didn't, uh, and we have to walk that fine line. And and and, and we do that. And Anne's team in Washington D.C. does that. And sometimes we we play more in the background. Sometimes we'll come out with public statements. So that's just part of the day to day that we already have to do, and and we already walk that tightrope, so to speak, at times. Yeah. Well, and the the reality is is that I would I would suspect that there are more external threats than internal ones. So there's probably more things we have to worry about as a group that are external than the things that maybe we differ on internally. So from that perspective, I can see how there'd be great alignment. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, walk us through these changes. I think it's significant for our industry, and we wanted you know at the heavy duty parts report to just express our our thanks to all the work that you and your organization is doing on our behalf and thank you for coming on the show i really appreciate it yeah thank you jamie appreciate it you've been listening to the heavy duty parts report i'm your host jamie irvin we've been with colin shaw who was the president and coo of the heavy duty manufacturers association but that has now changed to 
Chief Commercial Vehicle Officer. Is that correct? Yep. And the Chief Operating Officer of MEMA OE. So a little bit of a dual hat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to say that to 10 times fast. If you want to learn more, though, specifically about HDMA, you can still go to hdma.org and uh, that will give you all the information you need about the work that they're doing there. Colin, thank you again for being on the Heavy Duty Parts Report. So glad to have you here. Thanks, Jamie. HDA Truck Pride is the heart of the Independent Parts and Service Channel. They have 750 parts stores and 450 service centers conveniently located across the U.S. and Canada. Visit heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDA Truck Pride today to find a location near you. Again, that's heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDA Truck Pride and let the heart of the Independent Service Channel take care of your commercial equipment.